Hi, this is Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Welcome to another New Thinking podcast. Today I'm with Anne Fulmer, who is a Vice President at Interthinks, and she's also the co-founder of the Georgia Real Estate Fraud Prevention and Awareness Coalition. And we've just spent a couple days in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Justice Assistance at a focus group discussing the impact that foreclosures are having and mortgage fraud is having on communities around the country and various law enforcement and justice system responses. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Happy I'm to, glad to be here. Happy to have you here. You were a dynamic speaker, and that's uh, one reason I invited you, and you've been doing some interesting work. I wanted to ask how mortgage fraud which maybe people associate or think of as a white-collar crime, uh, think of as something involving the financial world, how that actually impacts crime and impacts communities. Well, mortgage fraud is literally bank robbery without a gun, but it brings other crimes and other uh, really negative effects into a community. When you have people who are acquiring properties and mortgages with the intent of taking money and not occupying a home or renting it out to people who are criminals because a lot of times we see that you know that's a way to, to, to launder cash. There's a whole cascade of events that happen. Uh, when you have inflated values, the tax assessments go up. People who move into the neighborhood later are going to pay more than the houses are really worth because on paper, in the real estate listings and in the tax digests, the properties look like they're worth more. But because it's bank robbery without a gun, these properties inevitably go into foreclosure. And foreclosures, as you know, have a negative impact on all the surrounding properties in the immediate vicinity. And then you have underwater borrowers, you have vacant houses, you have blighted houses, and as you know, vacant houses invite crimes like prostitution, uh, vagrancy, arson, drug dealing, those kinds of things. Well, so tell me about your personal experience, because I'm interested in how you as a community member became aware of this and actually became very involved in fighting it. Uh, well, I'm a recovering lawyer, and uh-huh. I was uh, at home on the mommy track after my children were born in a, in a very high-end, well, maybe not very high-end, but a very nice neighborhood on, uh-huh. the, on the eastern uh, suburbs suburban, of, of Atlanta. Yes, it was a suburban neighborhood. Um, and, and back in 1996, we started noticing, and I, I, I started being told because I was involved with the community association, that people were buying houses in our community and walking away with a lot of money. And I thought, how do they do that? Because I haven't bought that many houses, but I've always written a big check. What am I doing wrong? Over time, I started to notice that houses in our neighborhood were selling uh, twice on the same day and for hundreds of thousands of dollars on the second transaction. Wow. Uh, there were a couple of houses on my street that sold for about $300,000 more than they were worth at the time. And one of the things that, that, that one of the houses was never occupied. So that's what the FBI would call a clue. When you have somebody who's paying too much money for a house and then they don't bother to move in, yeah, might have a problem with mortgage fraud. Um, the other house, which was directly across the street from that one, and that's one of the reasons fraud is such a problem, is because they tend to cluster. And the other clue that I had was that the, this house that was right across the street from the one that never was occupied, even though UPS was delivering packages, which turns out that they were delivering drugs to these houses and huh. picking them up at night. Um, the other house across the street was occupied, but the people moved in in the middle of the night with the teeniest little, and this is like a 6,000 square foot house. So they had the teeniest little U-Haul you'd ever seen, and everything they owned that they carried into this house was in 30-gallon trash bags. Well, the next thing you know, there's kids from the school who are living in this now $600,000, $600,000 house 12, 15 years ago, um, who are going to our elementary school, and all of a sudden the school is asking me, what do you know about your neighbors? Because here's these kids, they live in this $600,000 house, 
grandma, who is now a convicted felon, by the way, um, is driving a, a Jaguar, a brand new Jaguar, and these kids are on free lunch. What's up with that? And because these things were happening and people, because of my work in the community, were telling me about other houses, um, I started to look into these transactions and I discovered the, the really very typical web of transactions where you have a few people who are buying a lot of houses all over. And I realized it wasn't just, you know, the 20 or so houses that I ultimately identified in my neighborhood, but it was happening all over Atlanta. And as I kept trying to get someone to address the problem, which at first they wouldn't do because I was dismissed as a bored housewife who right. needed a better hobby, uh -huh. um, you know, I started finding out that it was happening. It wasn't just Atlanta. It was all over the country. Now, without going into too much detail, what's the basic principle here? I mean, this person moved in with trash bags and yet could afford this house. How did, how did this person profit from this transaction? The people who moved in with the garbage bags right. were actually uh, ex-cons who were friends of what we call the orchestrators. The orchestrators are the people who are the brains behind and who profit most from these transactions. I see. And they were recruiting people who were coming out of the Georgia prisons to act as what we call straw buyers, to stand, to, to actually fill out the paperwork. So they were profiting because they were getting paid five to $10,000 per transaction that they lent their name to and showed up at the closing to sign the paper. And this particular group used a lot of identity theft, too, so that these guys were standing in for people in Michigan and Florida um, who had no idea that they were buying overpriced property in Georgia. Uh, the orchestrators are profiting because let's say you have, I'll, I'm not good with numbers, so I'll just use low, simple numbers. Let's say you have a house that's worth $100,000. Um, if you can flip it for 200000 by getting a, a, a bad appraisal, a bad appraiser to say that it's worth 200000 then there's a $100,000 profit there. Right. Um, one of our cases, the closing attorney um, was getting $4,000 per transaction under the table when the normal fee is about $500. And, and these people were walking away with anywhere between thirty dollars and $60,000 per transaction. So they don't pay profit. off the mortgage. These people live there temporarily until the bank foreclosed or something. It's presumably. like I said at the beginning. It's bank robbery without a gun. And there's right. no intention to, uh, to pay for the property. What's interesting to me is how can the community play a role in assisting law enforcement, prosecutors, people who are attempting to address this problem. You, as a, as a citizen, you went ahead and you started uh, the... Pack. Right, the Georgia Real Estate Fraud Prevention and Awareness Coalition. Maybe not everyone can do that, but maybe you can tell me what GraphPAC encourages people to do. Right, and, and with the banking crisis, one of the things that's happening now is that people who are in danger of being foreclosed are falling victim to a whole new... Um, world of scams that are designed to take advantage of desperate borrows like that. Um, I think that, that there's a couple of things. One, um, when you're talking about uh, spotting fraud, people who are in neighborhoods are the canaries in the mine because you know when somebody gets $100,000 more than their asking price. You know because you hear through the grapevine that somebody came in and you know the house was on the market and somebody made an offer sight unseen. You hear these kinds of things or, or that the seller got $75,000 back or that the borrower got a bunch of money back. So in that sense you, know, it's sort of, you can be the first eyes and ears for your law enforcement community. One of the things community associations need to, can do is, is cultivate relationships with law enforcement agencies because these crimes do bring in street-level crimes. A lot of these houses get turned into meth labs. They get turned into grow houses, so you've got a pot farm in the basement. If they're not occupied, you have arson issues, you've got prostitution, you've got drug dealing, you've got vandalism, you've got fires, all this kind of stuff. So it really behooves community members to 
inform themselves about this and for community groups to do it because it really can have a tangible impact yeah. on their on their very quality of life and their safety, the public safety. Absolutely, and and you need law enforcement to help you with that. But the other thing, the other side of the equation, I think, is is education because one of the ways that my community ultimately shut down the flipping was by engaging the community in dialogue about what mortgage fraud is. We didn't know the whole scope. We didn't know the whole panoply of damages that were going to happen. But we started talking about what we were seeing. And one of the things we were able to do was to educate sellers so that they would be wary when somebody came in and made a weird offer. Instead of just saying, wow, somebody wants to give me 100000 more than I'm asking? Cool, where do I sign? They would stop and they would ask. And, and we could say, yeah, that's a huge red flag for mortgage fraud. Uh, we educated uh, the realtors who farmed our neighborhood because realtors like to have a specialty in an area. Um, we worked with closing attorneys. We worked with, I mean, basically we, we made a whole lot of noise and said, you know, not in our backyard, but it really is a lot about education. Wow. Well, you know, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, and it was a pleasure to meet you. Once again, I've been speaking with Ann Fulmer, who's a vice president at InterThinks and a co-founder of the Georgia Real Estate Fraud Prevention and Awareness Coalition. And I don't know if you have a, um, a website or something that you might want to well, refer Well, InterThinks to. is at interthinks.com, and GrefPack is at grefpack.org. Wonderful. This is Rob Wolf, and thanks so much for listening.